Good evening. Well, good afternoon. Oh, good morning still. I'm, I'm rushing the day. Let me put the brakes on. And had a break this morning. Brother Bobby filled in this morning, the early service, and feeling good, feeling good. How are you this morning? Great, great. This morning's lesson, this morning's lesson is launching from John, St. John, chapter 14. Familiar passages that we are all familiar with. If you've ever been to a funeral, I guarantee you, you've heard these passages. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, these are not just funeral passages. These are passages for the living, for us to wake up and to understand Jesus is coming back again. And not only... For us to wake up and understand that Jesus is coming back again. The scriptures informs us. There's no need to fret. No need to be troubled in this life. Because we have a savior. Amen. Amen. We have a savior. If you look at verse number one. It tells us let not. Your heart be what? Trouble. You believe in God, believe also in me. What, what other interpretation is that I have but than just what it says? Let not your heart be troubled. In Christ, we have a Savior. In Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we have the gift of Salvation. In Christ we can have an assurance of knowing that everything is going to be all right. We may take some knocks and bruises and some bumps and along the way down here on this side. But the assurance is it's going to be okay. Brother Bobby was mentioning this morning in his lesson about we need to stop whining and complaining, you know, because life doesn't always seem to be fair and treat you right. Man, life isn't about being fair. You're looking, as a Christian, you're looking for fairness in life. You're on the wrong planet. You're caught up in the wrong heaven. If a man can come down from heaven and come in the form of a man in the flesh and do all the good in the world and not sin at all. And the only return of thanks that he was rewarded with was to be crucified. Man, life is not fair. Let me say that as a Christian, we shouldn't be looking for fairness in this life. We should be looking to serve and we should be looking to move on to the next life. That's where our true rewards are. We're going to take some bumps, some bruises. Yes, we still need to stand and, and, and point out. What's wrong? But we can't entangle ourselves in the cares and the pollutants of this world because you know what? This world is in darkness. Jesus came, John 3, the Bible said the light came into the world, right? But the world rejected the light because the world loves darkness. Our role as Christians is to live such a life and to call people out of darkness into the marvelous light to help people find where they're really going in life. You know, there are, there are, there's an abundance of people living every day. We work around them. We, we, we see them every day. We have family members who really think they know where they're going in life, but the truth of the matter is they're lost. They're lost. When it comes to spirituality, when it comes to really what matters in life, they are lost. You know why? Because they don't have Christ. They don't have Christ. 
And see, that brings me to our, our uh, context here. When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In me. Prior to these passages, Peter was questioning Jesus about where he was going. How come I can't go with you? Peter said, you know, you back up to verse 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. It troubled Peter when Jesus was speaking about leaving, having to go. Peter said, I'll go with you. Matter of fact, you know what? To show you my loyalty, man, I'll die for you. Jesus said, Would thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Then we drop to verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Did you hear that? I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. I don't know about you, but those are some comforting words. And they should be spoken more often than just at a funeral. We should be sharing this encouragement with each other all the time. Amen. When we're troubled, when we, when we feel like giving up, we need to remind each other what Jesus said right here. He's coming back again. Amen. He's coming back again. And you're talking about some assurance and some architect. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Man, you ain't got to worry about no, no rundown, no, no shabby place to live in eternity Jesus said I got the oversight over that but more importantly he said I go but I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also and whether I go ye know and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. And how can we know the way? Let's, let's park right there for a moment. How can we know the way? Apart from Jesus. How can we know the way, folks? There is no way of knowing. Apart from Jesus. Let me say that again. There is no way of knowing apart from Jesus. I don't care how scholarly you might be. I don't care how many degrees you may hold. I don't care who your parents are or what. There is no way of knowing apart from Jesus. You may know of some things. But the things that may, <coughs> or things, me, the things that you might know isn't enough to get you to heaven. Now, the reason I said that is to preference the next couple of verses, particularly verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way did he is that is that way plural or singular I don't see an S on it so is, is he's not declaring himself a way of many ways he said I am the way 
What do you mean, Jesus? Jesus is saying, you, look, look, there is no life worth living apart from me. I am the way. Yeah, you can go out there, you can live, and you can do things, and you can achieve worldly accolades and everything, but when you close your eyes in death, will it matter? Jesus is making it clear that, you know what? I am the way. And based upon the fact that Jesus declares himself the way, the only thing that truly matters in life is what's important according to him. He not only declares himself to be the way. He said, I am the truth. Amen? He didn't say, I am a truth of other truths. He said, I am the truth. In other words, what I say, bank on it. What I say, you're going to be judged by it. What I say, it's going to either entitle you to heaven or condemn you to hell. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am not a rumor. I am not a possibility. I am not a thesis. I am not a hypothesis. I am the truth. I am not something you guess about. When I speak, I speak clearly. I am the truth. So when you stop and consider Jesus being the truth, what else should matter to us in our lives? Nothing else. John 12, 47 and 48. That's a passage of scriptures I always refer to and talk about when I'm preaching and using my lesson for a simple reason. It's very important to know and understand. Verse 47 of John 12. The Bible said. And if Jesus speaking. And if any man hear my words. And believe not. I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world. But to save the world. He that rejected me. And receiveth not my words. Had one that judges him. The word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him. In the last day. Jesus said I am the truth. Amen. So in, in judgment. You know what. You can lie all you want to. And people are going to lie. People are going to make up stuff and some people will truthfully have done certain things, but they hadn't done it in accordance to his will. The only thing that's going to matter in the day of judgment is the truth. And not only did he declare himself the way, the truth. He said, man, I am the life. Stop and think about that for a moment. He said, I am the life. You watch commercials on TV and you hear commercials on the radio about living the good life. Advertisement talking about drive this type of car and you experience the good life. You experience this about Living large and living good and this and that. Man, that means nothing when you close your eyes in death. But what will matter when you close your eyes in death, you know what? These same words are going to judge you in accordance to the truth. What is the truth? The Bible defines in John 17 when Jesus prayed, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So I asked this morning, what kind of life are you living? What kind of life are you living 
to give the impression or what kind of life are you living that makes a difference in the eyes of God. See, God don't care about what kind of car you drive. He's, he, he's, he's more concerned about what do you do to serve him in that car. You could drive a hoopty and serve God and glorify God. And you know what? That's all that really matters. God is glorified. But you can entangle yourself in the cares of this world and, and bog yourself down in new cars and new houses and everything and they become your God. And you don't have time to serve God and do good things that you should do. What kind of life are you living that God is impressed with? You remember the teaching of the man with the barns and he had a great harvest. And he said, soul, I tell you, you know, standing there talking to himself. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down these old barns. And I'm going to build some bigger ones. Feeding the hungry was nowhere identified. Glorifying God. Matter of fact, in, in, that, in that text, he says nothing about thanking God. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. The first thing should have been was to thank God for the great harvest. But it was about him. And after being rudely interrupted and called a fool. This night, your soul is required of you. What did he have to present unto God that God was impressed about? Nothing. Because life to him was about him. Life to him was about storing up and saving about him. It wasn't about feeding somebody who was in need or helping somebody who was in need. You know, I think about the text when Paul told Timothy, one of the things he charged him with. He said, when you preach, son, you charge them that are rich. He said, you charge them to help those that are poor. In other words, you call them out. You remind them you have an obligation. You have a responsibility. To help those that are poor. But it said we live among people who have plenty. Who will tell the poor it's your fault that you're poor. And it's not my problem that you're poor. And it's not my job to take care of you. Now let me ask you this. Any person with that mentality. What are they going to present unto God that God would be impressed about? Huh? Paul said, charge them that are rich. Now we can also look at that from another angle. None of us sitting up in here, to my knowledge, are millionaires. Not financially that I'm aware of. Now we may feel like we're millionaires according to faith. And we should. We should be rich in faith. But don't feel you have to be a millionaire to help somebody in need. I think about when the scripture teaches us when you have a feast, when you have a, a get together, whatever. It said you don't invite those who are well off. He said you invite the poor. Invite those who can't return and do the same thing for you. That's right. Look at our mentality, folks. Come on, let's be honest. Can we be honest? Can we be honest about something? We have a tendency. We have a tendency. And I'm just simply saying when we learn better, we need to do better. We have a tendency when we invite somebody over, 
We feel obligated. We need to turn around and invite those people back home. That ain't what the Bible says. First of all, often we're inviting the wrong people mm-hmm. in the beginning. <laughs> I, I'm just teaching scripture. Mm-hmm. The Bible says when you have a feast, invite the poor. But see, we don't like to invite the poor because, see, they don't, they're not on the same. They don't dress like they don't. We don't feel we can connect. We don't feel what it boils down to. We're judging. We're passing judgment. And that's why when the Bible said, when you have that feast, invite the poor. Invite those who aren't able to turn around and say, I need to have you over to my place. Because you know what? They might not have a place. And even if they have a place, you're not inviting them over to be invited back. You do it because it's the proper thing. It's the loving way of doing things. We need to check ourselves. What kind of life are we living that God would be impressed about? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are Christians, right? So our lives should imitate who? Christ. Christ. Did Christ neglect the poor? No. Did he have compassion on the poor and the needy? Yes. How often are we opening our, our houses, our homes, and doing good to those that are less fortunate? See, we can deceive ourselves all we want to. You know, every now and then throw a bone out there to somebody and stick our chest out and say, well, I gave that person a couple of dollars that was out on the corner. You don't have to be a millionaire to do the work of Jesus. Well, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, where are you going in life apart from Jesus? Because according to what I'm reading, everything about living, everything about true living and true blessings, it involves Jesus. So apart from Jesus, what is there? There's temporary pleasure. There's temporary pleasure only to live a life of vanity. Because all it really boils down to when it's all said and done, your life has been a life spent in vanity. Because when you stand in judgment, what you have done and all that you have claimed as your accomplishments will mean nothing apart from Christ. Think about that for a moment. Solomon said over in Ecclesiastes, he said, vanity, vanity. He said, man, it's all vanity. Vexation. It's vanity. Solomon said the conclusion of the whole matter of I have lived a life. I have lived a life of having riches. I have lived a life of having many women. I have lived a life of having many vineyards. I have lived a life of having armies and and families, you know, 
People are being born on my property and vineyards and all this stuff. Solomon said, man, you name it, I've had it. Gold, silver, any and everything a man's heart could even imagine. Solomon summed it up to say, it's all vanity. You know why? It's not going to do you any good when you close your eyes. None of it. None of it. Well, Brother May, so is, so is it wrong to, to strive to have nice things? There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But it's even greater and better to share and glorify God with the things that he allowed you to obtain. It's called helping somebody along the way. But we live in a society that teaches different. It teaches us, you work hard to get yours. Don't you allow anybody to take it away from you. Well, helping the poor isn't the poor trying to take it from you. Helping the poor shows how strong of a spiritual person you are that you would even help them. We know you worked hard and got it, but who made it possible for you to get it? I don't care how many times you throw I in the middle of your accomplishments and what you've done. Somebody help you to get there. Amen. And that somebody is God. Amen. So to be honest, do we really have anything to brag or boast about? Should there ever be a time when we should not have compassion and have a desire to want to help somebody? Because if the truth be told, every accomplishment we've ever made, God helped us. Somebody helped us. I know we're quick, we're quick to get puffed up and talk about what I did. You didn't do it by yourself. And if you're going to be a part of that life that Jesus declares that he is. You got to learn compassion. You got to learn real love. You got to learn giving of yourself and of your goods. Remember that young man approached Jesus and said, man, all these things I kept from my youth up. What do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Jesus said, give it up. Give it up. Go sell it. Give it to the poor and come follow me. The last we ever heard of the young man, the Bible says, he dropped his head. He dropped his head. And he went away sorrowful. Why? Because Jesus exposed him for who he really was. And believe it or not, folks, whether on this time side or whether it be in the judgment, we're going to be exposed concerning who we really are. You could deceive folks while we live. But in judgment, the truth is going to come out. It's going to come out. So wouldn't it just make sense to learn and to do the right thing now? Because the truth of the matter is, right here in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
You're living a life absent of God. Really. Really, you are. You're living a life absent of God in your life, not being in Christ. You could talk God all you want to. But Jesus states, no man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And let me tell you some folks, talking about sharing, talking about giving, talking about helping, man, the richest, one of the richest blessings we have in our possession is the sharing of the gospel. Amen. What person in this life don't need God? Huh? What person in this life don't need God? But Jesus said, no man can come unto God, unto the Father, except by him. So, so let's, let's forget about the millions of dollars some people have, the billions of dollars some people have. Because see, even with all that money, people don't have Jesus. And you know what? They're lost. But what do we have? I told you, we have the greatest the most valuable blessing you can ever possess. Amen. The gospel. Amen. And folks, we need to share it. Amen. We need to share it. We need to practice it. We need to share it. We need to make sure, folks, you know what? That we are compassionate and we are understanding like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus encountered a bunch of different people in those few years that he walked this earth. But one thing he, he never neglected to insert was the need of a Savior. Life is bigger than us, folks. It's bigger than us. Do you believe that? Yeah. Life is bigger than us. That's why we're only here for a little while and then we pass on and we wait for the judgment and we wait and hoping and praying that, you know what? Our works will follow us to help us get in. But if I'm not doing the will if I'm not spreading the truth and according to the way that I'm living the life, I won't have anything that matters to me when I close my eyes in death. So in closing, I say, folks, we have work to do. Everybody is in panic. Everybody's in fear. People who ain't never talked about fearing die about dying. They're talking about dying. I don't know how you see it. I see it as a opportunity. Amen. You know, it used to be at funerals, people would be open and willing to hear. For a change, you never would listen, but death has a way of waking people up. But now, you know, at funeral, people don't even care anymore. So now something new is on the scene called Corona. She's 19. And she's deadly. And it, it has the attention of so many. But what are we telling people in our conversations when this topic comes up? What are we sharing with them about the gospel? What are we sharing with them about being ready? 
What are we sharing with them about not to fear Corona, but you need to fear the wrath of God. Oh, the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. But my Bible has a section about the wrath of God. My Bible in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 has, an out, has a section that said, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Who shall be forever punished from the presence of the Lord. What are we sharing with people in their fear, in their fright of Corona? Wouldn't this be a wonderful time to let people know, I don't fear Corona. Because to live is Christ. And for me to be taken from this life is only gain. But see, we're worrying about somebody going to call us a fanatic. We're worrying about folks might say, they, they crazy, they talking that stuff, they ain't afraid to die and all this stuff. Man, look, there comes a point in life you just need to accept it because you're going to die. Why not die right? And then you could get up right. Because if you die wrong, if you die in your sin, Jesus said, where I am, you cannot come. We have work to do. Amen. Don't spend your life trying to impress mm. people for the wrong reasons. Amen. Don't, don't waste your time. Impress God. Send up that sweet smelling savor that God would be impressed about. Store up some timber up in heaven, some, some treasures up in heaven, so that when, when death knocks, you won't be spiritually bankrupt. Because the Bible said, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. For their works, for their works, She'll follow them. But if you ain't sent anything up, you haven't sent anything up, and when and when the storage room is open to see what you sent up and ain't nothing in it, you won't be there. If I can put it that way. Live life. For the purpose of what it truly matters. Amen. That's for Christ. Amen. Amen. You here today. You need to reevaluate where you're going in this world. Because see, there, there are a lot of distractions out there. There are a lot of distractions out there. There are a lot of distractions out there that keep telling you you need to do this, you need to do this to better yourself, you need to do this to obtain this. Let me tell you something. And you could call me crazy, you could say whatever you want to. I serve a God. I serve a God who tells me if I seek first the kingdom. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things shall be added unto me. Now, as phony, as, as, as crazy as that may sound to you, you better read Matthew 6. That's the word of God. That doesn't mean you're, you're wrong to... To go to school and get an education? No, that, that's not what it means. But when you see other outlets more important in trying to achieve and accomplish things in life more than trusting God 
and you put everything else in your life before serving God and trusting God, that's where your problem is. See, you, you're building, you're building a, a, a grand house. You're building a wonderful house. But see, the only problem is you're building on faith. It won't be long. The storm's going to come. It won't be long. The wind is going to blow. The rain is going to pour down. Have you all noticed some of these evening storms we've been having? They, they don't last long, but they've been coming hard. You know what? See, that's what's, that's what's going to happen to your house, to your mansion that's built on sand. It's going to wash away. But when you build on a rock, man, the wind can blow. The rain can come down. The storms can come. They can beat, they can knock, they can knock, they can beat. But you know what? That rock is not going to move. That's why the song said, my hope is built on nothing less. Than what? Than Jesus' blood and what? And righteousness. We sing another song on Christ the solid rock. I stand. All of the ground is what? Sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Folks, check your foundation this morning. Check your foundation. Sometime along life journey, your foundation shifts. It cracks. And it needs some repairing. It needs some jacking up. It needs some, some shoring up. Man, Jesus is there to help you. Because you took your eyes off what really mattered. And now you've drifted so far, you hadn't even realized all the cracks in your life. And all of the problems you're having arise in your life. And you're stressing out and everything. That's because you, you took your eyes. You took your eyes off the cross. But today, the Lord gives you an opportunity to examine yourself, to check yourself, to make repairs, to shore things up, to make sure things are right. Because death is going to knock. And it may knock a lot sooner than you anticipate. Sickness might come. And it may just be closer than what you expect. Heartaches are going to arise. And they may come from somewhere you least expect. Check yourself this morning. Check yourself. I know a repairman who said, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your soul. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Get yourself together. Leave here better than you arrived. Man, the world is waiting. It's waiting. We come here, we, we should be rejuvenated. We should be Build up in our faith. Only to go back out there and fight a war, folks. That's it. That's it. Because the world don't love you. Amen. Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, the world loves its own. Amen. He said, don't be surprised. If the world hate you, remember it hated me before it hated you. And the truth of the matter is, it's not you that the world hates. It's me living Get yourself right today. Get yourself right. Repent and turn back to God. This thing called life ain't about you. If it was about you, you would know your destiny. You would know what the next minute holds. 
You wouldn't know what tomorrow holds. But you can't tell me nothing about the next minute. Amen. You can't tell me nothing about tomorrow. Mm. Repent. And come on back home. You're here today, you haven't put Christ on in baptism. You haven't done what the scripture requires of one to do in order to be saved. Mark 16, 16, Jesus made a very simple statement. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's not hard to understand. There's no salvation outside of baptism. People said, well, I got saved, then I elected to be baptized. There ain't no salvation in that. Mm-hmm. Salvation, it's impossible for salvation to occur before baptism. Because in order to be saved, you have to have your sins remitted. And the only way to have your sins remitted, you need the blood to cleanse you. And the only way to come in contact with the blood is in the burial. So how can you say, I got saved, then I got baptized? You haven't even contacted the blood. Well, I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Let me tell you something. Paul, I think it was in Acts 22 and 16, he gives that account where he said he was down, he was praying. And he was asked, why are you praying? Arise and be baptized. Then you could call on the name of the Lord. Baptism is necessary. Because Jesus commanded him. First Peter 3 and 21. Peter writes, he said, a light figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. Not to put in away the filth of the flesh. It ain't about getting in the water and washing and taking a bath. This is a spiritual regeneration. Not to put in a way of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, when you stand in judgment, what's going to be there? The truth, the word, right? Were you baptized for the remission of your sin? Well, I didn't feel it was necessary. It ain't about what you feel, it's what he commanded. Have you been baptized? For the remission of your sin? Have you been baptized because you know the need? Because apart from Christ, you are lost. There's no other way of putting Christ on other than through baptism. Galatians 3, 27. The Bible said it's through baptism that we put on Christ. It don't say you put Christ on through praying. Ain't no such thing authorized by Jesus, nor God or the apostles or anybody about a sinner's prayer. Wouldn't you think, wouldn't you just think, come on now, wouldn't you just think, if the sinner's prayer was scripture, that we should be able to open the Bible and say, turn over to 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 Corinthians, or Acts. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you think you should be able to open the Bible and, and say, here it is. Here's the prayer that the man prayed, and he was saved. It's not in the Bible. Nope. Well, if it's not in the truth, it got to be a lie. Let God be true and every man alive. Check yourself today. Amen. I you know what? It don't matter what granddaddyology told you, grandmamaology told you, mamaology and daddyology. You better open that Bible and read for yourself. Amen. 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 
Bible says baptism is essential. For us who have been baptized, we are members of the body. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. We need to get back to repenting. You ain't going to outlive a sin. You might forget you committed it. But the book's going to be open one day. And it's going to remind you of what you did. And if you die in your sin, heaven won't be your home. That's why if a heart is really true, if you really love God, when you sin, you will just repent right then. Ask God to forgive you. Get it right, right then. Because you mess around and forget. So you telling me God is just that mean that he'll hold that against you. You sin. Well, if God going to let you buy, why shouldn't he let everybody buy? We need to get back to the appreciation of what Jesus did on that cross for us. Because so many of us neglect what God did when we read John 3.16. And God is not going to play when judgment time comes. He gave up his best and he's going to judge righteous. Get yourself right today. Amen. Amen. What's our song? There's a fountain. There's a fountain. There's a fountain. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. And I want you to know the question I believe asked in the song, will you come? Huh? This is the one remove all gift to yes, saying. Yes. There is a fountain. Yes. Filled with blood. Yes. Runs from Emmanuel's veins. Oh, I got it right this time. Amen. And sinners plunge beneath this blood. To do what? You're here this morning. You may have some guilty stains. You want to unload. Let me tell you, there is a fountain. Amen? Amen. There's a fountain waiting to cleanse you of your guilty stains. Let us together stand and let us sing. There is a fountain.